Father, uh, we do look forward to tonight, and Lord, I know that uh, some of us are just kind of cruising in here right after work. Some of us haven't even been home yet. And, and Lord, I pray that, God, as we do open your word and we get into your word, that, God, it would just move in our hearts. Lord, we don't want to just read words from a page. We don't want to just, quote, do church and show up and listen to something and go home and, and, and nothing's, nothing's changed, nothing's happened. But Lord, bless this time. Open up our hearts. Lord, I'm convinced if we're reading your word, that your word can do something in our lives. So uh, we want to we hear from you. Lord, we want you to correct us if we need correcting. Lord, we want to be encouraging, encouraged if we need encouraging. Lord, we want to be, be convicted if we need conviction. Lord, we want to have an intimate time with you tonight. So I pray that you would bless this time. And Lord, that you would have your way with each one of our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, tonight, uh, if you remember, we, we were in Ezra, and then we shifted and we went to uh, Haggai and looked at him. In Ezra chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Haggai and Zechariah began to prophesy. So we're going to leave Ezra alone for a little bit, and we're going to do these two guys, and we're going we're gonna to listen to them. So here's the interesting thing. You have these two prophets uh, ministering uh, kind of side by side, simultaneously, and they're so different. There were a few months difference in, in what they did, but they're so different in their personality, just like Ezra and Nehemiah are very different in their personality. There, it's fixed. How was that? I think it's fixed. We'll see. So, hey, uh, I don't know why it's doing that. What did you do to my mic? Blame it on sound people. That's what I do. Always like, those guys, <laughs> he's got nothing to do with it, but blame it on them. Anyway, we're, okay, so you, you, Ezra and Nehemiah are very different personalities. And so, you know, what we need to realize is God can use people no matter who you are. You don't, have to be, you don't have to be out of some kind of mold in order for God to use you. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that I really love about the movement we're part of, this thing called Calvary Chapel. Because you know what? All of us pastors, we're different. We're not, we're not like cookie cutters. We, you know, we're all different. But, hey, we're committed to the Word of God and teaching the Word of God. But we're different. And we're going to present it differently. We're going to do it differently. And one's not better than the other. So you have, you have kind of, here's the thing. Thing with, with Haggai, you kind of have Haggai who's kind of, he's kind of blunt and aims right at him and shoots it all out in two chapters. Then you have Zechariah who's, he doesn't beat around the bush, but Zechariah is going to give us lots of imagery and, you know, he's trying to get the people to look at the big picture of what's God, what God is doing to encourage them and motivate them. So again, two guys, different ministries, just a few months apart. His name, Zechariah's name means the Lord remembers, which is kind of interesting to me as we do that. And then if you remember in our study in Matthew, you know, it talked about the Zechariah who was killed. And there's over 29 different Zechariahs in the Old Testament. So some say it's kind of hard to figure out. I believe it's this guy. And I want to read out of Matthew again, just talking about that. Matthew talking to, uh, to the uh, 
Pharisees and he's saying, therefore I'm sending, and talking to his disciples, I'm sending, or to the Pharisees, I'm sending you prophets and wise men and teachers, and some of them you will kill and crucify, others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on the earth, the blood from righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I believe it's this Zechariah because, look at verse one, in the eighth month, we'll come back to this, but in the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet, saying. So it's Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, and in Matthew, it says Zechariah, the son of Berechiah. I kind of think that's who he's talking about. It always blows my mind when the Bible genius scholars, guys, they go, well, we're not really sure. And I'm thinking, well, it kind of tells us, doesn't it? Now, listen, there's 29 Zechariahs, but not all 29 had a dad named Berechiah. So I'm thinking it's this one. So you have this guy, Matthew brings him up. He's quoted, I think the book of Zechariah is quoted some 40 times in the New Testament. So quite a bit going on. Now, you need to know this is a highly visionary book. Like he has eight visions and they're all in one night. And we'll talk about that when we get closer to that. But that's kind of crazy. Uh, I, I believe it was Warren Wiersbe called this book. He says, he says, this book has been called the most messianic and the most truly apocalyptic and eschatological of all the writings of the Old Testament. So, you know, apocalyptic meaning uh, uh, future and, and misfortune and eschatological end times. But listen, man, he kind of zooms all the way out. And you have to remember, he's talking to people who have come back from Babylon Remember in Ezra, they all came, right? And they came home, and then they got really excited, and then in the midst of building, they got discouraged. Some people kind of came against them, some people talked bad about them, and they got discouraged, and here's what blows my mind. For 17 years, they quit. They didn't do anything on the temple. They built their own homes, right? Haggai told them, hey, you guys aren't having problems building your own homes, but you're forgetting about God. And, and so he was kind of the straight shooter. Now, Zechariah begins his message calling them to repent, which is interesting. So they've been kind of chilling it for 17 years. So it's been a while since they've been uh, back in Babylon and when you think of the whole captivity. So if they were in captivity for 70 years, they've been hanging out for, for uh, uh, 17 years. I think 70 plus 17 is 87, right? Thank you, someone's with me. Yes, I don't do math well. And I didn't write that down. So 87, I mean, 87 years is a long time that Zechariah is going to call them to remember something. So let's look, verse 1 again. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. So this is a couple months after Haggai's done, right? So kind of, again, they were close together, but not right on top of each other, and this is the second time a prophet of God has used a Gentile king to mark time, which I mentioned in Haggai, that tells us that, hey, we're in the time of the Gentiles. 
as far as Israel's concerned. And I believe it started, listen, I believe it started at the Babylonian destruction and it's going to end when the last Gentile gets saved and we get raptured and we're out of here and then, and then comes the, the tribulation, etc. So listen, he says, in the second month of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the middle of, of uh, verse one, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet, saying, the Lord has been very angry with your fathers. So, uh, by the way, he brings up his grandfather, Edo, and most of the scholars say that Berechiah died when Zechariah was very young, and his grandfather, this Edo, raised him, which, by the way, I forgot to point out, he comes from a priestly line. Remember when we were looking at Ezekiel, we kind of kept in tune that Ezekiel was a priest and wasn't allowed to be uh, at the temple, and Zechariah, a priest, a priest and a prophet. So his first word, now imagine, kind of get this, because this is my picture. I may have it wrong, but this is the picture I have in my head. You have all of these people came back. They're supposed to be building the temple. They kind of skated on that. They got busy with their own houses, you know. It's sort, of, it's sort of like a lot of us. We get busy with our own thing, and the Lord kind of takes second place, which isn't good in our lives. But, you know, hey, that happens. You get busy, you get going, you get doing things, and you kind of push them aside, and, you know, you're not really attentive to spiritual things that you should be, and then you get in trouble. And whenever we get in trouble in my life, here's what I know. I get in trouble and I go, why is this happening? And the Lord says, because you're not, not hanging out with me. I love years ago, I've shared with it years ago, we were at a conference and, and I remember one of the pastors said that, you know, he got up one morning and got busy and got running and got doing stuff and, and he's, like, he's like, you know, going through his day and then that afternoon he's counseling somebody and it's catastrophic. And he goes, Lord, I have nothing and he goes, well, I had to answer for you this morning if you would have stopped and spent time with me. Mm, good to remember, huh? So spend time with him. So, hey, these guys have put everything off. So I have this picture of, and, and this may be not quite accurate, but I have a picture of being on a construction site. And here's all these guys, they're supposed to be working, and they're kind of just hanging out. And you show up as a prophet. Like imagine today if you went on a huge project that's being built and everybody's just kind of hanging out and you're going to go and you're the guy that you're going to talk to him about Jesus. That always goes well on construction sites, you know? And so that's, this is my mind. And, and so he shows up and then here's what he says. Hey, you guys, I don't know if you know this or not, but God was very angry with your fathers. Like, hey, they knew that, right? Their fathers were the ones who were deported, right? They were taken out of Jerusalem, brought, and he said, listen, God was very angry with your fathers, and here's why. He says in verse three, therefore say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, by the way, 90 times he uses that word, Lord of hosts. You kind of think that he thought that Yahweh was the Lord of hosts? Like, Lord Almighty, right? So he's kind of into that. And so here's what he says. Your, God was very angry with your fathers, but here's the answer. Listen how simple this is. Return to me. Here's what the Lord is saying, and he says that to all of us. Just come to me, and I will return to you. 
The great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is you come to God and he will not turn you away. He will not say, hey, I don't have time or you're not good enough or you're not made right or you're not the right person. Hey, all of us do some weird things to each other, but God will never do that. And I love this, man. He's talking to these kind of, to me, rough and tough, tumble kind of guys. And he's going, hey, you guys, return to the Lord. Return to the Lord and he will return to you and hold that in your heart. Don't ever forget that. Even as believers, we need to remember there are times in our lives, if we're honest, that we gotta turn back to Jesus. We get carried away with other things. And I'm not talking about just getting busy and missing a couple services. I'm talking about our, our hearts beginning to drift away. We need to repent. Bottom line, what is his message? His message is repent. Repentance isn't bad. As believers, there are times we need to repent and turn back to the Lord and come back to him. And here's the thing. If you come to Jesus and you confess things to him and you're open and honest with him, trust me, he's not gonna say, sorry, sorry, man, you used up all of my grace. I got no more, I got nothing for you. His grace is never ending. His love is never ending. And he's saying, man, he's telling these guys that. And then he goes, he goes on and he says, do not be like your fathers, verse four, like your fathers to whom the former prophets preached, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, turn now from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they did not, but they did not hear nor heed me, says the Lord. So hey, why were your fathers, why was God angry at your fathers? It's a real simple thing and we need to know that because they would not turn back to him. God calls us, and if we don't turn back to him, you're gonna suffer the consequences of that. And you need to understand that. So he goes, your father suffered that. They didn't heed God, they didn't do that. And then I love this, so, so Zechariah, he's going, hey, your fathers, where are they? They're gone. They're gone, it's too late for them. Your fathers, where are they? And then even this, listen. And the prophets, they do not live forever. We need to know something, man. Someone is not gonna give you and be there all the time to pick you up. There's not gonna be somebody else to walk your walk for you. Someday you're gonna have to walk your own walk and you're gonna have to do your own thing. And I believe that's what he's saying. God sends us prophets. God sends us people in our lives to encourage us. I think of the couple that poured into Gainel and I when, when we were first saved and discipled us and were there. But hey, I don't, I don't today look for them to carry me. I got my own walk I gotta do. And sometimes when people come in for counseling, I tell them, and that's probably why Pastor Jack does most of the counseling, <laughs> is that here's what I tell him. I go, I'm having a hard enough time following Jesus myself, and I can't do your walk. You know, I'm struggling with my own walk. You get on your walk and do your own walk, and then they leave and ask if they can see Pastor Jack, and it's good, because he's got it together. So listen, <laughs> he's saying, amen. I got an amen from Pastor Jack. <laughs> Did you hear that? <laughs> So listen, listen what he's saying, man. He goes, the prophets do not live forever. And then here's what I love. Look at this. Verse six, yet surely my words and my statutes, which I command my servants, the prophets, 
they, uh, uh, my servants the prophets, did they overtake your fathers? Here's, what, here's my interpretation of that. We don't live forever. Prophets don't live forever. But God's word lives forever and ever and ever. You can always go back to God's word. Have you noticed when you go back, it doesn't change? I don't care what culture you live in. I don't care what century you live in. 2,000 years, we could say, because we have the New Testament, 2,000 years, God's word has always said the same thing to sinners and saints alike. And we don't need, listen, we don't need a new revelation of God. We need to believe the revelation God has given us. And by believing, we need to follow that. That's what we need. If you want to have a good, fruitful, great life, you don't need the latest, greatest, whatever. Here's what you need. You need to get filled up on God's word and allow God's word to guide you and, and, and motivate you. And so, man, or Jeremiah, what's his name? Who are we working? Zechariah. Zechariah's telling him that. Jeremiah's way dead by now. But listen, he's telling him that, and he goes, hey, this is what happened. So, verse 6, so they returned and said, just as the Lord of hosts determined to do to us according to our ways and according to our deeds, so he has dealt with us. Here's the thing. God is faithful and God is fair. And you're gonna, hey, you're gonna make choices and if you make a choice not to follow him, that's your choice. God is not gonna drag you to heaven. That's your choice and he's gonna let you live with that choice. So this is kind of, uh, to me, this is Zechariah's introduction to what now he's going to do. So I think he talked to all those guys, and then he, he scooted out of there. And now we're going to get into an evening scene, and we're going to spend some time looking at eight different visions he has all on the same night. That's a, that, listen, that is a lot of revelation coming from God all at the same time. Like most of the prophets we read, theirs are over months, maybe years of ministry. Zechariah gets this like in one evening or one night. I'm thinking, then that had to be a restless night, right? I would be terrified if I saw the things Zechariah saw. So he starts here in verse 7 on the 24th day of the 11th month. So, so he started out in the 8th month. This is the 11th month. That's three months later, right? Thank you. Somebody's helping me. So, right, three months, which is the month of Shabbat in uh, uh, the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came. Uh, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, and the son of Edo, the prophet. So some say, some guys have figured this out. Remember, their months were not the same as our months. So they're saying this was, and I don't know how they get the exact day, but February 15th, 519 B.C., 17 years since they started the building program. 17 years since they, they all said, yeah, we're going to build God's temple, and they haven't done it. So now listen, God begins to give him these visions. So some people say it was uh, five months after they had begun resuming to build the temple, three months after his first prophecy that we just read about, and two months after Haggai's all done. So listen, man, he gets this incredible thing. And I believe, listen, I believe as he was getting these visions, you need to understand something. I don't believe Zechariah was looking for visions from God. I don't think he said, man, God, I gotta have a vision so I can do this. I think Zechariah was just doing what he did. And God says, hey, I got something special for you. And I think he, after the first one, I think he said, that's enough. 
And God is gonna, listen, man, reveal amazing things. And, and you know, in my heart, I have to believe that God knew he could trust Zechariah with that. He couldn't do that to just anybody. Had to be the person who's gonna handle it, the person who's not gonna, number one, not gonna take it and think it's all them and what they're doing. They gotta be able to handle that, and then they gotta be able to handle disseminating that in a way that God would want it brought out and told. So he had this vision, it tells us in in verse eight, I saw by night, this is the vision, I saw by night, and behold, a man riding a red horse, and it stood among the myrtle trees in the hollow, and behind him were horses red sorrel and white so now we get into the exact vision he's having in the again the word of the lord came to him he didn't go seeking this because sometimes people think they want to you know i want to be used of god and so i'm going to go you know sit and and do something like crazy till god speaks to me no god sovereignly does things and so he shows him this vision now Look at, well, I'm gonna interpret that, but here's what I love, verse nine. Then I said, my Lord, what's going on, right? What are these? You kind of like it. Listen, you gotta understand, he wasn't like, oh, I got this vision, I got it all together because I'm Zechariah the prophet. I know exactly what God's trying to say. He saw this vision and, I mean, hey, when you read verse nine, do you understand it? Here's what Zechariah said. I don't get it, God. I don't even know what you're showing me. Now, here's what blows my mind. Bible, people, scholars, those people who like to say this symbolizes that and this symbolizes that, they know exactly what was going on. Here's what I'm thinking. How do you guys know what was going on? And poor Zechariah's there, and he's going, what are these things? Like, I see a horse, and I see some horses behind a horse, and I see guys on the horses, and I don't know what I'm looking at. And then you read, you read the commentaries. Well, the red horse obviously represents war and turmoil and blood. And the sorrel horse, here's what I love. And then they get to the sorrel horse and they do this. These are these guys that always represent stuff. And the sorrel horse is, well, he's a whole bunch of colors. And the white horse represents, and I'm going, well, you didn't have, what's, what's the other horse? And they, they, won't, they won't answer, none of them. All the commentaries I read that told me the red horse was all about war and blood and turmoil and the white horse was about victory and dominion. But the middle guy, kind of like a middle child, right? Well, we're gonna ignore them. And then I just, I don't know what, they go, well, you need to understand he was a horse of a lot of colors. So maybe he was part war, maybe he was part peace, maybe he was part, and I'm thinking, here's what I think. You know what I think he saw? a red horse and another red horse and a sorrel horse and a white horse and, and angel beings on them. I think that's what he saw, but he couldn't believe it. And he goes, Lord, my Lord, what are these? So the angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. Now you need to understand something all through these visions It's like Zechariah had his own private angel interpreting things and explaining things to him. That's kind of cool, right? He had, he had this angelic being somewhere with him, near him, whatever, and every time, because <laughs> I read the visions, and every vision he goes, I don't get it, God. I love that. I don't understand. And so the angel goes, well, let me show you. Let me explain it to you. So he says, hey, he goes, I'll show you what they are. Verse 10, and the man who stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, so you got the one that's the first one, right? 
And here's what he answered and said. He, uh, and I don't know if the angel interpreted it. I don't know quite how this all took place. But he says, these are the ones whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro throughout the earth. Now, I want to stop there and, t- and, and let's, let's think about this for a moment. These are the ones that God sent to check out everything going on on earth. Do you understand that God knows what's going on? He's not dumb to the things that are happening. As a matter of fact, he's got angelic beings all around. I love that whole idea. If we could rip back the the curtain into the spiritual realm, I think we would be pretty flipped out on what's happening in that area. But listen, listen to the heart of God. He's checking things out. He's keeping tabs on everything. He's got, quote, his helpers, angels, beings. He's got them all over. It's not like God is going to lose control. It's not like he's going to, like, freak out. It's not like something's going to happen. He's going to, oh, man, if I would have only known that, I would have sent more. So listen, these are the ones that are checking. These are like, these are like God's scouts, if you will, or, or, you know, his intelligence gatherers, you know, since we're living in an intelligence community. These are the guys getting it all together for them. And he says, hey, they're going everywhere. And so they answered, verse 11, and so they answered the angel of the Lord. You might underline that pretty heavily because the one on the red horse, the one who was the leader was talking, is the angel of the Lord. When it says the angel of the Lord, generally that's speaking to me about a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. You need to know that the second person of the Trinity has always existed, in the form of humanity, no. But he's always existed. He's always been, just like the God the Father's always been, the second person in the Trinity's always been, the Holy Spirit's always been. There was never a time when they were not. And so when we see that, people say, well, you know, that's a theophany, if you will, a, an appearance of God. And I generally take it to mean it's the second person of the Trinity showing up. And he's showing up on on earth. And so when we look at that, here's what, you know, in some ways we can interpret it and we'll see it further on as we go into Zechariah's visions and other ones. But the angel of the Lord. So so to me, it's like, hey, this angel, the one who stood there, it was Jesus there. And he stood among the myrtle trees and here's what he said. He said, we have walked to and fro through the earth. The other's talking to the second one. We've walked to and fro uh, 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 throughout the earth. And behold, the earth is resting quietly. Here's what they're saying. No problems. Everything's going well. Now think about who's reigning. Where are we at in world history? The Medes and the Persians are in charge. And the Medes and the Persians have just devastated all of Babylon and taken over all of Babylon. And they're in charge. And now world history, worldwide, there's great peace going on. And everybody's kind of happy. Even for the children of Israel, there's peace. Once the Medes and the Persians took over, right, we saw that Cyrus issued the decree 17 years ago for them to go build the temple. Now Darius is raising up and he's there. And they're going, hey, there's peace. It's good right now. And that's kind of good news, right? I think it's good news for them. It's good news for God. It's good news for Zechariah. Hey, things aren't going to happen. Although we did read in Haggai, if you paid attention, remember Haggai kind of said, it might be good right now, but God is about to shake things up. And when he shakes things up, man, he's going to take this planet and he's going to shake it like a pepper shaker. 
and it's going to get shook up. So it's all quiet right now. Verse 12, then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long? How long will you not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah against which you were angry these 70 years? Lord, how long is it going to take to restore Jerusalem to what it was? And I kind of like that, right? How long? You know, I read that as sort of a prayer and then sort of a calling that Jesus is interceding for Jerusalem. Let's get this done. Let's get going on this. How long? It's been, it's been 70 years plus these 17. And so the angel, I'm sorry, in verse 13, and the Lord answered the angel who talked with me with good and comforting words. If we're honest with God, I believe God will always comfort us. But you gotta be honest. When we come to God with some kind of phony baloney and we're faking it and we're acting like we're all together and he's going, you are so not together, but we're thinking we can trick him and think we're together, we're not gonna get comfort. But you come broken, contrite, needing him, he'll meet you there. And I love this, man. He's coming with comforting words. And, and again, think of Zechariah and where he's at and that vision he just saw. Verse 14, so the angel who spoke with me said to me, proclaim, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts. So now he's telling Zechariah, you saw that vision, now here's what I want you to proclaim and say. And, and here's what he's supposed to say. Number one, God says, I am zealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with great zeal. Hey, God loves his people. And I'm not just talking about Jews. We're his people. And God is zealous for us. God will do anything for us. And some of you are going, he doesn't do enough. That's because you're not looking and you're not understanding. Man, he's zealous, he says, and he's zealous for Jerusalem. And again, that's got to speak heavily to the heart of Zechariah who's there. And then it says he is, in verse 15, God is exceedingly angry with the nations at ease for I was a little angry and they helped, but with evil intent. Here's what God is saying. I'm pretty I'm pretty mad. And I'm pretty mad at these nations that I used to put you in your place, but then they went too far. And I'm angry with those nations. Hey, God uses nations, he uses things in our lives, and he may use people, he may use different things, but if they go too far, that's on them. And God says, I'm angry. They're sitting there thinking they're all fine, and they are so not fine, and I'm gonna take care of it. And you need to know that. So again, kind of bringing you comfort, right? If you're trying to build the temple and you're there. Then, verse 16, therefore, thus says the Lord, I am returning to Jerusalem with mercy. Now, I believe in my mind, I believe, here's what he's saying. He's looking way in the distance when Jesus comes back. I am gonna come back with mercy. And then he draws it back. Remember, a lot of times the prophets, they telescope out and then they come back. And he telescope out and they come back. And we can see it from our vantage point, but people then, they're looking for, like we're looking in Matthew, they're looking for the Messiah, they're looking at everything all at once. And we have a different vantage point, but he says, listen, I'm gonna do that. My house, the second thing, so here's what the Lord says. I'm mad at those guys, but I'll take care of you guys. Number one, I'm gonna show up. Number two, my house shall be built, uh, uh, my house shall be built in it. In where? In Jerusalem. My house is going to get done. 
And I think he's talking to those guys, telling them to get with it, but right, my house will be built and the end of that verse, a surveyor's line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. So he says, hey, not only is a house gonna be built, this city's gonna be built up. And I believe they did it to a degree. And then even by the time of Christ, it was more. But again, I think he's even looking way in the future and when it is gonna be a wonder again during that millennial reign of Christ. Again, verse 17, again proclaims saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, my city shall again spread out throughout the, uh, the, through prosperity and the Lord will again comfort Zion and will again choose Jerusalem. Now here's what I'm thinking, man. Hey, you speak that to a bunch of people, they're going, woo! Where's the hammers? Where's the saws? Let's get going. Because this is some exciting news, right? This isn't just like, this isn't just sort of me, you know, Haggai saying, you guys get up and get with it. Here's what Zechariah is saying. Man, God is on our side. And God is coming back. And God says the house is going to get built. And let's get going. You know, kind of the difference, right? The encourager, come on, man, let's all get going. And maybe he's like going to be the leader and the first to go. And he's going, let's do this. And, and Haggai's going, do it now. Because if you don't do it now, God's going to shake everything. And, and Zechariah's going, chill out, buddy. I got this. And he gives him that message. Now, that had to be encouraging. Now, now he gets another vision. So, so imagine you're Zechariah and you get this vision and you kind of get this whole thing in your heart and your adrenaline gets going and you get to pumping and God goes, oh, wait, we got another one. And this one's freaky. Then I raised my eyes and I looked in verse 18, and there were four horns. Now imagine how weird that is. Come on. Come on, just think about that. You're having this thing, and you're, you know, I would be thinking, if I saw four big old horns doing weird stuff, I would be thinking, shouldn't have ate the pizza. Shouldn't have done that. Right, man, there's four horns, and, 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 uh, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I kind of like the horses. The horses were okay. The multicolored one was kind of weird. But the others were okay. It was all right. And, you know, the commentators, no one can figure out the multicolored one. But that's okay, Lord. I got to see it. But four horns, four horns. And he says in verse 19, and I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these? I love it, right? What on earth am I looking at? I got four horns. What is going on here? It's a good thing God sent him a guide, Right? Hey, Zechariah, I'll give you a guide. I'm going to give you visions, and they're going to, like, freak you out a little bit, but I'll give you a guide. You'll make it through. Just ask him because he knows what's going on. So what are these? And so he answered me and said, these are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Well, thank you very much. That helped. We got that. Now, biblically speaking, and we can understand generally, if you look at Daniel and other prophets, horns usually represent power, kingdoms. So what kingdoms is he talking about? Because I think he's saying, hey, these are the kingdoms that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Well, what kingdoms is he talking about? Usually, if you think about Daniel, and a lot of people go to Daniel, they think he's talking about the Babylonians, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Grecian Empire, then the Roman Empire. But two of those would be in the future, right, from Zechariah's time. And he said, these are the ones who scattered Jerusalem and Judah and Israel. They're the ones who are in there. So others say, hey, they think they're the Egyptian, Assyrian, Babylonian, and Medo-Persian. Uh, that could be, or I kind of liked what Warren Wiersbe said. 
We don't know. They're kind of some powers and, hey, they could be these. Oh, I left one out. Some people say they were the north, east, south, and west, the Samaritans, the Ammonites, the Edomites, and the Philistines, although none of those really scattered them. So I don't think we have a definitive answer other than we understand some powers are gonna come to be and come into power, and, and those powers have scattered Israel and God knows about them and then then it gets weirder now some people say this is two visions I think it's all one and he says hey he says these are the horns that have scattered Israel verse 20 then the Lord showed me four craftsmen and he said and I said what are these coming to do so here comes four workers right I don't know if they got their tool belts on, what's going on. But now, listen, get this picture like you're in, I don't know, he's not in bed because he's not dreaming, but you have this vision. You have to take your, you know, your, your, your goggles off and kind of take a breath and, and think about what's going on as you're looking. And you, take, and you got these four horns, and then these four guys come walking up. They're craftsmen. They're going to take care of things. And you're going, what on earth? You're, you're saying, man, angel, I'm really glad you're here because what on earth? Are, what are these coming to do? In verse 21, so he said, these are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one could lift up his head, but the craftsmen are coming to terrify them to cast out the horns of the nations and to lift up their horn against the land of Judah, uh, uh, against the land of Judah to scatter it. Well, that's clear as mud. I think you could interpret it this way. I think a horn is in charge and the craftsman comes and bonks that horn out of the way. If we could look at kingdoms, let's just say, let's just say that they are the, the Babylonian, Medo-Persian, Grecian, and Roman. So the first Babylonian, that's the horn. And then along comes the craftsman, who's the Medo-Persian ones, and he takes him out and gets him out of the way. And now he's in charge. And now he becomes a horn. And then the next craftsman is a Grecian empire that comes and knocks him out. And now are you kind of tracking with that? Some say it's that. And there's no real definitive answer. I don't think it's angels doing stuff. I think, I think here's what God is saying. I know exactly what I'm doing. I know exactly who I'm using. And you probably can't put all this together, Zechariah. And probably for centuries they won't put it together. Probably, maybe, maybe when everybody gets raptured and we get to heaven, we can figure it out. But bottom line, here's what I take away. God is in charge. And God knows exactly what's going on. And he will use one empire to remove another empire to get done what he wants to get done. And some of those, sadly enough, are going to come against Judah. Why? Because Judah was being disobedient. We go back to the very first of the prophecy that Zechariah gave. Why was he doing this? Because the fathers refused to believe the prophets and refused to trust God, and they pushed him out of their lives. So for us, you're going, well, what do we take away from this tonight? Number one, we take away, do not eat right before you go to bed. <laughs> Number two, we take away this, that God is in charge, that he knows what he's doing. And I think one of the greatest things that you and I can take away from this is this gift of repentance. And I'm convinced some of us need to repent. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm saying that in a good way. Some of us need to come clean to God. 
I'm not asking you to come clean to me. I surely, I surely don't want to hear your sin. I got my own to deal with. But I think we need to repent and we need to be real and honest before God and we need to learn to trust him in spite of what our circumstances might be, in spite of what's going on and we need to get real with God because here's what, here's what Zechariah is doing. Yeah, he's got, some, he's got some weird visions and they're gonna get weirder and weirder. They ain't gonna get better. It gets deeper and weirder as we go. But if you focus on that, you're gonna miss the reality of what God has for you. And what God has for us is this. We, we don't have to understand every little thing. There's some strange stuff going on with powers. And we know powers to be are gonna come and go and be disrupted and things are gonna happen. We understand that. And we need to understand they're not by chance that God is orchestrating this and God is in control. And we can focus on that or we can focus on this. God, Give me that heart of repentance tonight. Let me be someone who's honest and bare before you and let me come before you and just bear everything so that I can be useful for your kingdom and so that I can be a light in the midst of the darkness. That's what we need to take away. Let's stand up and pray. Lord, I do pray for my brothers and sisters standing and myself. We don't want to just do a Bible study and read these things and especially through Zechariah and even what we're studying on Sunday morning in Matthew. We don't want to, we don't want to get all of our end times theology straightened out and figured out and get our timelines and all of that. That's fun. But I'm convinced, God, you're more interested in our hearts than anything else. And so I do pray that just as Zechariah called those people gathered around there who were supposed to be building the temple, but they weren't, just as he said, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I pray that tonight would be a time for us to draw near to you and be real and open with you. And I know, I know that you're faithful to draw near to us. So God, if we need, if we need the faith, the courage, whatever, whatever word we have to plug in there to do that, I pray that you would grant that tonight. And we could leave here, men and women, who are ready now to serve you and to honor you and to glorify you. I guess, God, here's what I'm praying. Grant us the gift of repentance that we could honor our God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.